Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. As humans, we all go through times of pain and suffering. Today, John's message, The Problem and Possible Upside of Human Suffering, will help us make sense of those painful seasons. If you can, please open your Bible to the book of Job as John begins his message. This past week, as I was thinking about Job and just couldn't get it off my mind, I went back to the beginning of the book. And I read the first chapter, and I read part of the second chapter, just reorienting myself with some of the things that Job was struggling with, some of the suffering that he was experiencing. Listen to what Job lost in a relatively short amount of time. You talk about suffering. This is big-time suffering. He lost his possessions. He lost his source of income. He lost his children. He, had, he and his wife had 10 kids, and they were all killed on the same day unthinkable, unimaginable, and it happened to him. He lost his health, and then if all that weren't bad enough, he lost his reputation within the community. Because up until this point, everybody had recognized Job as a fearless, blameless, godly man. But when these calamities came into his life, his friends turned on him and said, Job, there must be some secret sin in your life because God would not allow anybody to go through this unless he were disciplining them, punishing them for their sin. What gives with you, Job? What are you hiding from the rest of us? Job wasn't hiding anything, but when all this happened... He lost his reputation. Let me, re, let me just review that list again. His possessions, we would say today our house, our car, our bank account. His source of income, he couldn't replace that because his source of income was gone. His kids, his health, and his reputation. And if anybody ever said, God, where are you? God, what in the world is going on in my life? It was old Job. Now, in Job chapter 23, look in verse number 3. We read this is what Job said. He said, Oh, that I knew where I might find God, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Job is saying, if I could just find God, I would go into his presence, and I would say, God, this is not right. This is not fair. You should never have allowed this to happen. That's how Job felt, and that's how some of you might feel today. Look in verse 8. He said, look, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. Job says, I've looked everywhere for God, up, down, right, left, and I can't find God. I see no evidence of God's leadership in my life. I don't understand what is happening to me. And we would say, at his lowest low, at the end of verse 9, he made one of the highest confessions of faith in all of the Bible. Verse 10 is our focus today. It is one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. Job said this, but he knows the way that I take. In other words, Job was saying, I don't know the way that I take. I can't understand what's happening in my life, but God knows. And Job was saying, I find comfort in knowing that God knows the way that I take. And look at the next phrase. When he has tested me, I shall come forth his gold. 
If you're looking for a verse to memorize, let it be Job 23.10, right here that we're looking at today. He knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Job had enough sense, even though he didn't understand what was happening, he had enough sense to know that he was being tested. And he knew that God was up to something, even though he didn't know what God was up to. And he felt like at the end of the test, he would be purified better and stronger than he was before the test. He said, I shall come forth as gold. Now, again, my friend sent the text, and this was the verse that he quoted, when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Now, here's what I've been thinking all week. What did Job mean by gold? When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Well, certainly he didn't mean that literally. He didn't mean he was going to come forth as a, as a precious metal. What did he mean? He's using this word gold metaphorically, and he's saying just like gold is tested, just like gold is purified and heated up, Job said, that's what's happening to me. I'm being testified. I'm walking through the fire, and the same thing's going to happen to me that happens to gold. I'm going to be purified. Now, I don't know how much you know about gold being heated up and refined and purified. I've had forever, I guess, like you, a general idea that the goldsmith takes this gold substance and puts it in either a crucible or in some other container, and it is heated up. But I didn't realize until I prepared this sermon that gold has to be heated up to 1948 degrees Fahrenheit before it will melt. I learned this. Gold cannot be destroyed in the heating process. Can't be destroyed, but it can be melted, and it is melted. At 1948 degrees, the solid gold turns into a liquid. And when that happens, the liquid is placed into a crucible of some kind where it is further heated up, and the goldsmith, having to be careful because of the heat, goes and looks at that gold and takes an instrument, and he begins to skim the impurities the dross, the imperfections off of that gold. Gold has imperfections that are hidden until they're heated. But once those imperfections are heated, the goldsmith can just go scrape them or skim them off the top, heat it up a little more, and scrape them and skim them off the top. Again, I want to make that statement. The impurities and imperfections are hidden to the naked eye. You can't see that that gold had any impurities, but when it's heated up, you can see it. When pressure is applied to that gold, what happens? The impurities rise to the top. And that's when the goldsmith can just skim it right off, and all he has left is pure gold. Now, the Bible is saying, when Job said, I shall come forth as gold, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm being heated up. I don't know if he knew about 1948 degrees, but he knew he was being heated up. And he knew that God was scraping out of his life, out of his heart, out of his mind, out of his character, out of his fate. He knew that God was scraping out all the impurities that did not belong. Now, with that in mind, I want to kind of turn that on us today and say, Hopefully here, nobody has lost all of what Job's lost. Hopefully you've not lost any of what Job has lost. And yet, I know this, whether it's here in Pasadena or anywhere else I might be today, and for those listening, if you've got this many people in a room, there are people suffering in one way or the another. And what I'm saying to you today is that God is using your suffering, or at least He wants to, to get rid of all the impurities in your life. Now, let's think about that. You say, John, what is God in the process 
I'm, I'm going, you might say, I'm going through something. I don't understand it. What is God in the process of burning out of my life? What's he trying to skim off and out of my life? The first thing God is doing, he is purifying your faith. Now, faith all through the Bible is very important. Faith is the most important subject in the Bible. Without faith, we cannot please God. We're saved by faith. Faith is everything in the Bible. Faith connects us to God. We walk by faith and not by sight. And yet, sometimes our faith has impurities in it that we're not even aware of. It's not perfect. It's not as strong as God would want it to be. Faith, the Bible tells us, always leads to peace. Now think about this. If your faith is, is, is filled with impurities and it's weak and it's shaky, what does that mean? It means your peace is going to be shaky. Faith and peace are like parallel railroad tracks. They always run together. If you have perfect faith, strong faith, you're going to have strong peace. If you've got shaky 50% faith, you're going to have 50% peace. If you have no faith, you'll have no peace. So sometime when I'm talking to somebody and they say, you know, John, I just don't have any area. I'm thinking about my marriage, my kids, my finances, my health, my future, my job, all of it. I don't have any peace. And I can say to that person, the degree to which you have peace or don't have peace is directly linked with your faith. Faith and peace always run together. So God says, you can't see the hidden impurities in your faith, but I can. And God says, what I've got to do is allow you to go through some testing, some heat, some trials, some suffering. And in that process, what you can't see now will come to the surface. That's what I've always said. Trials and difficulties in life, it's not, it is true that they purify us. That's the whole sermon today. They pur- but before they purify us, they reveal what's going on in our life. And the first thing that God wants to do is he wants to purify your faith. Now think about this. Say, John, you say impurities in my faith. What, what specifically are you talking about? Doubt, worry, fear, anxiety, frustration, being overwhelmed, being uptight, being nervous, being stressed out. How much money would you pay or how much would you love it if you could go through an entire week with none of those hindrances in your faith and in your mind? A whole seven days, no, no time worrying, no time fearful, no time anxious, that feeling that we sometimes get, I'm just overwhelmed and I can't have it. But if that could be burned out of our lives and God could purify our faith, and now instead of saying, oh my goodness, it's so much, I can't handle it, I'm sinking, I'm going under, we could say by faith, no, I'm not going under. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What would you give to live a life with none of those hindrances in your life? Well, God says, I want to give you more than a week. I want to give you a lifetime. Of, of life like that. But in order for that to happen, I've got to get these impurities out of your faith. Now, go to the New Testament book of 1 Peter, if you would. I want to show you two verses. 1 Peter is towards the end of the New Testament, but Peter is writing his letter to a group of Christians who are scattered all around the world, and they're, you're talking about suffering. They're being persecuted. Some of them are being killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And so Peter writes a letter to encourage them. And in chapter 1, in verse 6, notice what he says. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, remember this, suffering is only temporary, won't last forever. If now for a little while, if need be, not only is it temporary, but it's necessary. 
It is necessary that we go through some of these challenging experiences in life. You have been grieved by various trials. That word various literally means multicolored. I may go through one type of trial or have been through certain types of trials. You may go through different types of trials. But a trial is a trial. Suffering is suffering. Pain is pain. They're not the same for all of us. But in verse 7, he tells us why he allows us to go through this. So that, in my Bible just says, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. See, Peter saying what Job was saying. May be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He tells us in that verse the reason we go through trials. So that the genuineness of your faith, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that you would be able to stand in the presence of God today and on that great day when we step out in eternity and see Him. And you would have a faith that has been purified of doubt, worry, fear, anxiety, frustration, and all those other things that I have mentioned and more. And so the first thing that God is doing, He is purifying our faith. He's wanting to burn those things out. Now, remember what I said about when gold is heated up, those impurities were hidden until they were heated. But when they're heated, now everybody can see them. You may be going through a trial. I've been through situations like this before, and I say, God, I've never struggled with anxiety. I just, that's something I've never struggled with. And now I'm, I am struggling with it. You know what I think God says in response to that? God says, no, you may never have on the conscious level struggled with anxiety, but it was there all along. It was hidden. It was coming out in different ways, just not in the traditional sense. And now that circumstances of your life have been heated up, now it's coming to the surface, and now you can see it. So it was there all along. It wasn't doing you any good. I just allowed the fire to get hotter so you could see what I have seen all along. So now we can address the anxiety. Now, that could be true of fear, of worry, frustration, being overwhelmed, any of it. Until it's heated, it's hidden. But once it's heated, it comes to the surface, and now we can see clearly what we're dealing with. In other words, if I have hidden anxiety and not even aware that I have it, well, I can't, I'm not going to deal with something. I'm not going to deal with a problem that I don't even think I have. But if God allows that to surface, now I say, okay, God, we got done some, we're dealing with something now I didn't even know that I needed to deal with. And so the first area where that is going to happen is in our faith. Job said, when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. And the first thing he was talking about was in his faith, a purity of faith so that he could honor God even though he didn't understand what God was allowing into his life. But there's more than just faith. God in those suffering, difficult, testing times of life is not just purifying our faith. God is also purifying our character. Our character. Augustine said character is what a person is in the dark. Character is not what I am when everybody's looking at me. Character is what I am when home when nobody's looking at me. Character is not what you are in church on Sunday morning. Character is what you are at home on Friday night. Character is what you are and what, what I am when nobody is around. And God wants to purify our character and make us more like Jesus. Now, turn back a few books in the New Testament to the book of Romans, chapter number 8. Romans 8, one of the great, maybe the greatest chapter in all the Bible. And I want us to look at verse 28, maybe the greatest verse. Maybe my favorite verse in all the Bible. My favorite verse changes from time to time, and probably yours does too. But Romans 8, 28 is a verse that we all claim and quote and 
hang on to when we're going through difficult times. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. That has given all of us here comfort through the years. We've gone through things. They God, I don't understand, but I do believe you're working all things to good. Does it say all things are good? Some things are bad, but God can take the good, the bad, and the ugly and mix it together and bring good out of it. Now, here's how we normally interpret Romans 8, 28. Here's how we apply that in our own lives. If, for example, we say, well, I've lost my job, but God's going to make all things work together for good. Therefore, that means God has a better job in store for me. Well, that's probably true, but that's not what Romans 8, 28 is talking about. You may say, well, I've lost my, I've lost, uh, my health. And so Romans 8, 28 means that God's going to give my health back to me. Well, God can do that. We'll pray God will do that. He's certainly capable of doing that. I would certainly pray and believe for that. But that's not what Romans 8, 28 is talking about. You say, well, I've got a friend, and my friend has hurt me somehow, and now we're not friends anymore. Or may, you know, and you say, well, I guess that means God's going to give me a, a new and better friend. Probably he will, but that's not what Romans 8, 28. When Romans 8, 28 says all things work together for good, if your house, somebody's house burns down, and they say, well, my house burned down, all things work together for good, I'm going to get a better house. Well, probably that will happen, but that's not what is being talked about in Romans 8, 28. The good talked about in Romans 8, 28 is defined in Romans 8, 29. Look at verse 29. For whom he foreknew, God knew us before we were born. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The good that God wants to bring into all of our lives when we go through difficulty is that through that difficulty, we would become more like Christ. Christ-likeness. That is, if somebody says, what is spiritual maturity? It's Christ-likeness. What is the purpose of discipleship? Christ-likeness. What's the purpose of coming to church, opening our Bible, studying what God says so we'll be more like Christ? Now, here's the question. What does it mean to be Christ-like? Does it mean if Jesus is six feet tall, we all need to be six feet tall? Or if Jesus had long brown hair, then we all need to have long... Or if Jesus had brown eyes, I want to be like Christ. I need to... I, I wish I had a different color. No. Christ-likeness doesn't mean that in our physical body we become a twin of Jesus. Christ-likeness means that in our hearts, in our character, the real us, that we have those same qualities that Jesus had in his life. Now, I've thought about this all week. You know, Christ, to be like Christ, to be like Jesus. What does that mean? And I could have made a list of 20 or 30 or more things of, of what Christ-likeness is. But I want to share with you four different qualities that Christ-likeness involves and what it means to be like Christ. And I wish you'd just jot these down. First of all, Christ-likeness means that our lives are characterized by holiness. The thing that characterized Jesus' life as much as anything else was His holiness. And for those of us who are saved, the Bible says that we're to be holy like He is holy. Let, let me just say it. This, I know we're all sinners. We, none of us are perfect. We all mess up. I get it. I mess up. We all mess up. But the, even that being said, sin does not fit in the life of the believer. It's not consistent 
with who we are. It grieves the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And I think sometimes we have this thing, well, we're all sinners, nobody's perfect. And I think we use that as an excuse to, be, to live a sloppy Christian life. Sin has no place in our lives, and yet we do sin. I sin more than I wish I did. Even now, I still sin. I wish I didn't. But when I sin, there's guilt, there's shame, led by, followed by confession and, and hopefully repentance, turning away from sin. But our lives need to be characterized by holiness. Now, before we go to the next word, let me just ask this question. As you think about your life, is there any sin in your life right now, any thought process, any attitude, any habit, any activity that you're, is there any sin in your life right now that doesn't fit a child of God? And if there is, I would encourage you today. You know, the Bible says whoever uh, covers his sins will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. Just, we have to do, we all have to do the same thing on this point. We have to just confess and ask God to help us to be holier going forward and help us not to sin. But the first thing that we need to pursue, the Bible says pursue holiness. We may never fully get there, not perfectly, we certainly won't, but we should all be pursuing holiness. Now the second word that is so important, this is one of the things God wants to work in our lives. You would have expected holiness, right? Everybody would expect that. But the second thing God wants to work in our lives is happiness. Happiness. Now, turn just a few pages. You're in Romans. Go now to the book of Hebrews. Go to the right and find Hebrews chapter 1. This is an interesting verse. In Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 9, God, the Father, is talking to Jesus, His Son. And he's quoting, actually, Psalm 45. Psalm 45 was an Old Testament psalm about Jesus, a messianic psalm. But here in the New Testament, God applies it clearly to Jesus. If you look at verse 8, it says, But to the Son, He says, that is, God says. And look what He says in verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. In other words, God the Father, when he looked down from heaven and watched Jesus live his life, God says this. God says, Jesus, I have noticed, I'm so proud of you, you're holy, you love righteousness, and you hate lawlessness. But look at the next part of the verse. Therefore, as a result of your holiness, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Now, don't miss that. God said, Jesus, because you're holy, I'm going to place a special anointing on your life. And this anointing is known as the oil, the anointing, and I'm going to use oil, the oil of gladness. In other words, notice this. There's a connection between holiness and happiness. Think of it this way. The holier you, the more you pursue holiness the happier that you're going to be. It would have been interesting years and years ago when Jesus was on the earth, if we would have been living at that time, if we could have gone to Galilee and spent one week with Jesus and the 12 disciples and watched Jesus walk on water, feed the multitude, heal the sick, teach the Sermon on the Mount, all the things that Jesus did, if we could have eaten meals with Jesus and the 12 disciples, Everywhere they went, we went. When they pitched their tent on the Mount of Olives, we pitched our tent on the Mount of Olives. And we, we slept right there in that same area at night. And we were together for a whole week. And at the end of that week, if we could have come back to Texas, of course, Texas wasn't here back then, so that wouldn't have been, but play like it would have been, that we would have lived. We could have come back here, and our 
friends and family would have said, what was it like to be with Jesus for a week? Oh, man. I've never seen anything like that. I mean, we would have described what he did. Healed people, walked on water, fed multitudes, gave a great sermon. Unbelievable. What about the Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, Nathaniel, all of them? I'm telling you what, those guys, they are committed to their cause. They, they committed to God. They are following him. It was just the most amazing experience. I think one of the things we would have said as we tried to describe to people in Texas what it was like to be in Israel with Jesus and with those disciples, I think we would have noticed something that you may never have thought about. And I never had until I read this, read this verse years ago. We would have noticed that Jesus was happier than the other disciples. We hope that today's broadcast has been a blessing to you. You can find this message along with many others under the broadcast tab on our website, peacebybelieving.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond as we continue the message, The Problem and Possible Upside of Human Suffering.